Welcome back to the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at Fox Sports and FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at scout.com. Today's episode is the 43rd episode of the Sidelines Podcast, and today's featured guest scored more than 10,000 points and tossed out more than 3,500 assists in the NBA. I'm talking about Penny Hardaway. Hardaway and I discussed his recent involvement in youth basketball. We talked about his story going from unranked in high school at one event to the number one player in the country. And then I asked him who were the most competitive players in the NBA. Before we get to that conversation, the way you can support this podcast is shooting over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. You can also help by leaving a rating or a review. You can shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the podcast. Now let's jump to that interview with four-time NBA All-Star, Penny Hardaway. It's time to go man-to-man with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in four-time NBA All-Star Penny Hardaway to the sidelines with Evan Daniels' podcast. Penny, uh, first, thanks for, for taking the time out and, and jumping on the show. Uh, I had a, an opportunity to work alongside Penny at the USA Basketball Junior National Team mini camp a few weeks ago. Uh, Penny, what did you think about that experience, coaching some of the, the best high school players and the, the best talent in the high school ranks? Yeah, first, uh, my pleasure for being on. I, I really appreciate you asking me to be on. And uh, being out in uh, in Colorado with the best talent in the in the uh, in the country in, in three different classes was uh it was good to be around, man, because you know it just reminded me of my older days when I was going to those type of camps and and um, and really competing against the best in the country. You know, I remember uh, Javon Quinterly. He was one of the senior point guards there, and I was talking to him on the side, and he noted to me just how awesome it was. Uh, for him being a point guard to have uh, the opportunity to learn uh, from a guy like you that spent so so much time in the NBA, I guess for guys like Javon um, Javon Quinterly, uh, you've been in their shoes. W- what's the best piece of advice you can give guys like that? Well, I did actually speak to him personally and didn't even know that you know he was one of the kids that was appreciative of, uh, of me being there. Uh, but I spoke to him and I told him, I said, man, what what makes you go when you come to an event like this you know and he was like one one to show that i'm the best and i'm like well if you didn't come here for that then you should have stayed home what i meant by that was you you should come here to show that you're the best at your craft these are your friends of course a lot of these guys but at the end of the day these are going to be the guys you're going to be competing against for a spot these are going to be the guys that you're going to be competing against for a scholarship these are going to be the guys you're going to be competing against going into the draft so you want to show that dominance and uh he was one of the guys that was very receptive to me talking to him so um, that's some of the advice that I, that I gave him to compete every single second out on the floor while he was out there. No wasted minutes. I, I imagine most of these kids' parents do, but do you think these kids have <laughs> any idea how good of a, a player you were back in your day? I don't think they have a clue. I think after <laughs> I was there and I spoke to the guys that they went on YouTube and started looking, but not until then. You, you mentioned uh, speaking to them, and, and you talked about uh, you, your unique story from high school where you went – uh, from an unranked player to the number one player in the country. Uh, let's revisit that. H- how did that happen? Well, I was ninth grade uh, playing for a, a local AAU team called Idlewild. It was a church. And um, all the other good players were playing for the YMCA. I was on the team with, you know, guys that we really didn't travel outside of the state. 
everything that we did was local or we went to Nashville or Knoxville or something like that. And um, I wasn't ranked. I was just having fun playing with my friends. And then the YMCA kind of recruited me over and the other better players were like, if we got together, we could do something special. So the next year, my 10th grade year, I got with the YMCA and we had a really good team. And we traveled to Boo Williams tournament that was in Hampton, Virginia, where it still is now, but it was at local high schools. And uh, we ended up playing against uh, Riverside, uh, New York Riverside. And they had Derek Phelps and uh, Khalid, um, Khalid Reeves, Adrian Autry, and Brian Reese. They had all those guys on one team. And I dominated that game. And after that game, they started. They ranked me, they ranked me high in, uh, number one in, uh, in the country. Crazy. Well, outside of just from the publicity standpoint um, of the grassroots in high school, how is the scene different now from, from those times when you were playing at the Abu Williams and, and some of these other events? It's, it's so much like the social media changes the, the dynamics of everything. I mean, we were just word of mouth and you have to go to a Nike camp. You have to go to something to be known. Now you have so much social media, man. It changes everything. You don't even have to know about a kid and all of a sudden you start seeing them post things on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and get some, you know, get people to notice them. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's promoting himself and could get himself ranked through doing that. Do you see a mentality difference in terms of when you were playing in the high school and just being around the high school kids now? Uh, back in the day, we came from a work. A lot of us came from a worker's mentality, like our parents, grandparents, uncles, people that we saw in our community. It was all about grinding right. and working hard for everything. Nothing was given to you. And uh, today's game, there seems to be a sense of entitlement, which we all know. Kids feel like they don't have to work hard. Their talent is going to take them where they want to go and that, you know, that they shouldn't have to work hard to get what they want, that it should just be given to them. Not all kids, but a majority that way yeah no i think it's certainly something that that, that we've all we've all seen um switching gears growing up in, in in memphis did you did you know you always wanted to play your college basketball there you know what i didn't uh, when i was younger i knew that i wanted to play i didn't know where as i got older like 11 12th grade memphis had some really good teams and uh like my 9th 10th 11th uh, and then elliot perry who was uh, my backcourt mate, who was a McDonald's All-American and got drafted into the NBA. He went to Memphis, and uh, he was someone that I looked up to, so it started making it an easier choice as I got older. Gotcha. Now, now do you have a, uh, a best or a, a favorite memory or moment, whether it be from your college career or 16-year NBA career in the NBA? Um, college career, I would say making it to the Elite Eight. One game from the Final Four, that was a magical run with guys. Our whole team was from Memphis. We didn't have one guy from out, out of the state, uh, definitely not out of, uh, out, of the, out of the state, but majority of the guys that played the game were from Memphis, like the first eight or nine or ten. We might have had a couple guys from surrounding little cities or whatever uh, outside of Memphis, but majority of our team was full of Memphis guys, and we showed that, you know, we could play with anybody, you know, having a fully uh, – I mean, a Memphis team right. uh, playing against the, the nation. What about in the NBA? NBA was the definitely the uh, going to the finals and playing against the Rockets. That was that was something that that was magical as well. No pun intended. It, it was just <laughs> you know with those runs, man, those playoff runs and those series that we had along the way were were incredible. From Boston to uh, Chicago to Indiana, those were some man some some great runs. 
Now you obviously had a uh, a pretty strong connection with your teammate Shaquille O'Neal. What what made what made that duo so special on the court? I think what made it special from my point of view is that I knew that he was the man. I didn't have an ego. I knew that if I was going to go anywhere, it was going to be through him. So I, I definitely checked my ego at the door and basically just kind of kind of fed him and gave him what he wanted. I knew uh, keeping him happy was going to get us to where we wanted to go. And I wasn't dumb enough not to not to do that. Now you're uh, 11 years removed from playing in the NBA. Looking back, you know, from your standpoint and your eyes, w- what made you uh, such a successful player in the NBA and the and the, the All Star that you were for so many years? Man, it was just God gift of the ability that I had, and then I was just a student of the game. I studied my opponent. I worked on my game, all aspects of my game, all the time, and I was driven to be the best overall. I mean, that's what I wanted to be. I, I didn't just want to be in the NBA. I wanted to be the best of the best. So I think that's what kind of beat down it while I was playing. Now, you and I spoke previously about this uh, at the USA Basketball Trials, but I'm curious uh, of your take on kind of the shape of the NBA now, uh, specifically regarding super teams. Uh, the, the league is, has become so top-heavy because of it, but I'm curious, is that – I mean, is that something you agree with, disagree with? It didn't seem to happen as much uh, back in your time. Well, like times have changed, and uh, now it's more popular to do that. And uh, it it would not have happened really back in the day when we first got into the league. Later on, you saw Carmelo and go to the Lakers to get with Kobe and Shaq, and, you know, you saw things like that. But for the most part, it wasn't superstars in their prime leaving leaving their teams and going to other teams. It does hurt the league a little bit because it makes only a few teams dominant. Right. And all the other teams are so young. Who was the uh, who was the most competitive player you played against? Uh, between Michael Jordan and Gary Payton. Those two guys were very, very competitive. What what was different about those two guys or their mental makeup compared to maybe, maybe others? Man, it's just relentless. Mentally, physically, they just – you know, had so much pride about themselves that they weren't going to let you score on them. And on the offensive end, they were going to attack you at all times. No, I can't have a I can't have a Penny Hardaway on my podcast and not ask about Lil Penny. <laughs> when when, <Okay>. uh, <laughs> when when Nike pitched uh, the Lil Penny uh, commercials to you, did you have any any idea that it would take off the way it did? I knew that it would be funny. I felt like people would love comedy, and I figured that it would be funny, but I didn't think that it would last all the way up until even now. But people love Little Penny uh, commercials and, and things of that nature. I knew it would be funny, but I never knew in a million years that it would take off the way that it did. Do, do you think that that, um, that marketing and those commercials um, helped enhance your brand for an extended amount of time? Obviously, your your play was the biggest part of it, but do you think that it helped – uh, enhance your brand uh, from for an extended amount of time. Absolutely, Nike did a wonderful job. They do a great job of overdoing things, but the little penny ad did a huge push and uh, made me more popular. And my shoes sell more along with my play. Uh, it was incredible, man, how everything just meshed together. But uh, yeah, the the little penny ads definitely helped thrust me to another level. Did you have a uh, did you have a favorite favorite ad? I, I went back and watched a bunch of them yesterday, and they were, they had me cracking up. But did you have a favorite one? You know, what I like this one. We dressed up like the detectives, 
and I had to I had to save him from the uh the, the burning building and the building blowing up. Was one where he was playing basketball and the sea surfing garden and all that was in one one commercial. That was that was nice. Now, now following uh, following your playing career, you started coaching and and you started at at Leicester and have since landed at Memphis East. And you're actually entering the the high school season with the number one team in the country, and you're starting practice today. Um, but but what led you, Penny, to go in the high school coaching route? Maybe rather than pursuing TV or or some other opportunities. I coached high school because of the middle school situation. Gotcha. When I went to middle school, I felt like I had a special group of kids that do some special things, and we wanted to stay with the group until they graduated high school. That was our plan. Uh-huh. And uh, that group are, that group of seniors this year. Wow. And uh, But we knew we wanted to stay with those guys because they were a special group. We knew they could do some special stuff, so that's why we we uh, followed them from middle school to high school. Now your team is, is obviously loaded. You, you have the, the number one junior country, uh, in the country, James Wiseman, uh, a guard in Alex Lomax that's really good, Malcolm Dandridge. You've got some really good players. Tell me a little about your team, Penny. What's going to be the strength of your group this year? I think my strength is length and unselfishness. I think they're the length that's going to bother a lot of people and how unselfish we are. Uh, we got a high IQ team, which helps a lot because we got a lot of pure basketball players that understand the game. Um, you know, at the point guard spot, I feel like we have the best defensive point guard in the country. I mean, somebody could prove me wrong, but I think Alex Lomax is the best on-ball defender in the country. Um, so that that definitely helps when you're when you're a leader, it's the best defender, and um, you go down the line with uh, with Ryan Boyce, who is a super athlete, probably one of the better athletes in the country at his spot. Uh, Chandler Lawson, who is going to have a, a humor, I see him having a humongous year because he does so many things so well. He's six eight, long arms. Uh, it's on the head of our press. When we when we press full court, it's on the top of our uh, our most of our zones with his length, and uh, does so many great things. And then you have James Wiseman, who is the number one junior in the country, which speaks for itself. He does so many things well. And then Malcolm Dandridge, who a lot of people don't know about, but we'll find out about this year. Now, do you, uh, Penny? Do you do you see yourself one day pursuing any? College coaching gigs, obviously you've got it rocking in the high school level, but is do you have any aspirations of coaching in college or maybe even the professionals one day? I will never say never because I never thought I would coach middle school. Someone, asked, <laughs> someone would have asked me when I was in the league if I were to coach middle school, I'd go absolutely not. When I coached high school, I probably would have said no, and it ended up happening, so I'm, I'm just not going to ever say no. Got it, got it. College. Well, well, Penny, before I let you go, I want to get your take on uh, on one last thing. It's uh, been a big topic around college basketball and NBA lately, the, the one-and-done rule. Uh, I'm curious, do you, do you think these kids should, should be able to go directly out of high school to the NBA? I do, because the kids are only going for one. The kids that can go are only going to college for one year, so they're not completing a, their education. So I think that you should allow kids to to go out of high school if they're able to. You know, I really do. If uh, if you hadn't played college and NBA basketball, what would you have done with your life, Penny? I was into movies. Uh, I did the movie Blue Chips right after I finished college and, uh, and went to the NBA. So I probably would have tried to have been an aspiring actor out in L.A. I would have been one of those guys out in L.A. trying to get work. awesome awesome well uh good luck this high school season as i said uh he's got a loaded group 
in uh, in Memphis at Memphis East. And uh, good luck this season. And and Penny, I really appreciate the, you taking out the time and jumping on the podcast. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks a lot. This is De'Aaron Fox. Fox, who has his first 30-point game at Kentucky, has two more for 32 on the night. Well, they said he was like John Wall. He is a to the sideline with Evan Daniels. Would like to once again thank Penny Hardaway for jumping on the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Enjoyed that conversation. Now I want to get to three big topics. And first up is the 2018 NBA draft crop. And a lot has been made about that 2017 crop and how good it was, how talented, how deep. And it certainly was those things. I think the NBA is going to flourish for years to come. And that that class is going to be a big part of it. It was tremendous. I think we'll see multiple NBA All-Stars out of that group. Here's the hot take. The 2018 class, the the 2018 NBA draft class, uh, has been maligned. It it, it is not great overall. It is not deep. Um, But there are really good players at the top. In fact, I think the top five players in the 2018, or potential 2018 NBA draft class, are better than the top five players in the 2017 NBA draft class. I think they're better prospects. And let's walk down the line. The guys I'm referring to and talking about are DeAndre Ayton, freshman at Arizona, six foot eleven. Uh, if you drew up a power forward's body, you would draw up DeAndre Ayton. He's starting to fill out. The Arizona coaching staff has been absolutely raving about him, as have NBA executives. Uh, He has a real chance to potentially go number one. He has always had the talent. With DeAndre Ayton, it has always been execution and playing hard and playing the right way. Uh, But now he's getting coached, and all of my understanding is that he is buying in and he is doing so in a major way. So you got DeAndre Ayton. You got Muhammad Bamba over in Texas. You can't mention Muhammad Bamba without talking about his measurements. Six foot 11, seven nine wingspan, nine six standing reach. That would be the second best standing reach in the NBA. And, and all signs and indications out of Texas are that he has really ramped things up. He's obviously an interior presence. I think the interesting thing about Mohamed Bamba in an area he's never really been given credit for is on the offensive end. People have acted like he's inept on that end of the floor. I don't think that's the case at all. In fact, I think he has potential as an offensive weapon. He's got good hands. He's got good touch. He can make short and mid-range jump shots. This is a guy that I think is going to have a huge freshman season, and it sounds like it's already off to a pretty strong start. Then you've got Luka Doncic. He's an 18-year-old playing in the EuroLeague. In four games in the EuroLeague this season, 24 points a game, 6.8 rebounds, shooting over 43% from three. He's a six-foot-seven guard wing that can score the ball. He's crafty. He's creative. And this is a guy that's been playing against grown men. He's... Uh, Of these five, he's the only I haven't seen in person extensively, but I've gone through quite a bit of tape, and this kid is a heck of a scorer, and and like I said, he's done it on a uh, pretty high level. You've got Marvin Bagley, freshman at Duke, 6'10", mobile, athletic, can score facing the rim or with his back to it, plays hard, really good rebounder, uh, didn't win in high school. Uh, Didn't win on the AAU circuit, but he has had all the tools, didn't have a lot of talent around him. He does now at Duke, and uh, I'm interested to see how he responds because I think this is a kid uh, at the power forward position that has the full package. Now, he's not a great long-range threat right now, but he's a capable shot maker from mid-range. I think there's potential for his range to extend. 
Uh, but he plays hard and he's mobile and he's athletic and he can do quite a few things. So I think Marvin Bagley's a really good prospect. And then the fifth guy on this list, Michael Porter. And these five are in no particular order, but Michael Porter, six foot nine, pushing six ten, wing prospect, uh, can really shoot the ball from distance. He's a very good leaper. Uh, he's good in transition. And I think over the last 12 to 18 months, he's really improved his ability to score the basketball. He used to be kind of one dimensional in terms of just shooting, uh, but now he's a versatile scorer. He's a guy that can, uh, at least during his high school senior season, he would go to the paint every now and then and, and look to post guys up. Uh, he, he can go off a couple dribbles and pull up and make jump shots. Uh, all five of these guys, and I mean this, all five of these guys are potentials to go number one in the NBA draft. Now, obviously, we are still a long ways away from the 2018 NBA draft, but as of today... I think all five are in the running for the number one spot. And I do. I think these these five players in the 2000, potentially the 2018 NBA draft are better prospects than the top five players in the 2017 NBA draft. Now, I should note that the 2018 NBA draft does not have depth. It falls apart once you get past eight or nine. Uh, But those top five really, really good prospects. Topic number two. Kentucky's usage of two point guards. Now, they've been known to do this, dating back to the John Wall and, and Eric Bledsoe days. And Quade Green was the point guard that came into this Kentucky team, this year's Kentucky team, with a lot of the hype. He was a five-star, um, big reputation. And this is a kid with a really good feel for the game, a high IQ. He can really distribute the basketball. He knows how to run a team. And he can really shoot the ball. He came in with more hype than Shea Alexander. And Shea Alexander actually started Kentucky's exhibition game against Moorhead State. And this is a guy at six foot five with a massive wingspan, massive hands. He's versatile. He can guard uh, all three perimeter positions. He's quick. Uh, he's a really good distributor and passer. He's a good athlete. He can make shots. He's not a shooter, but he can make shots. I think we're going to see Kentucky play with those two guys in the backcourt together quite a bit. I think Quade Green is a guy that Kentucky probably has to have on the floor playing big minutes, primarily because he's their best shooter. This Kentucky team does not have very many shooters. Kevin Knox can make shots, but Quade Green is their best shooter, so they need him on the court. And I think Shea Alexander is a very good complement to him. Uh, they played well uh, together thus far early in the season, and and uh, there's been uh, a lot of talk about how good Shea Alexander is and perhaps has surpassed early expectations. So I think Kentucky's going to play Quade Green and Shea Alexander quite a bit together, and I think they could be a really good tandem. That's not something that I would have thought would have happened uh, probably six months ago, but both of those guys on the court together gives Kentucky some versatility, gives them a shot maker, two really good passers, Uh, I think we're going to see Kentucky use those two together quite a bit. The third topic, Duke picked up their first 2019 commitment this week. It came from Joey Baker, a 6'7 forward. He is the number 23 prospect in that 2019 class. Only five top 50 players have committed in the 2019 class. So Duke getting getting on the board early. And this is a kid with a lot of versatility. I mentioned his size at 6'7". He can play strictly on the perimeter, but he can also play a small ball, stretch four type role, which we're seeing so much in college now. Jason Tatum played four for Duke quite a bit. Josh Jackson played four. Kansas quite a bit. Uh, It's the way the game's going. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Joey Baker play some stretch ball four. Um, But he's also a guy that can play on the perimeter. He is a 
uh, a shot maker. He can make shots from long distance. He didn't shoot the ball great during AAU season. But I think long-term, he's going to be a guy that can make shots. He's an above-average athlete. He's a scorer. He can finish in transition. I like this pickup for Duke. As I mentioned, number 23 in the country and just the fifth player in that 2019 class to make their college commitment. Before I let you go, I want to make sure that you are supporting the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. You can do that by going over to Apple Podcasts and hitting the subscribe button. You can also do that on your favorite podcast app. It would be helpful if you left a rating and or a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter, at Evan Daniels as a Twitter handle. Would love to know what you think about the podcast and who you think might be a good guest. Thanks for listening and have a great week.